Have you heard our new theme song? No. Is that it? That was it. Oh, my God. Yeah. What a great theme song. It's, like, way better than the old one, isn't it? Which we already didn't do. I don't know. I still think you should play your uh, bagpipes at 10... Whatever time it is. Yeah, 10, 10 o'clock, o'clock at, at night. night. Yeah. That would make your neighbors in HOA happy. I'm sure that would. Yeah. Know. They'd totally be great with that. Yeah, actually, one of the few people that complained about my bagpipes uh, allegedly works at night. But I'm pretty sure she doesn't, and she was just, like, using that as, like, a, yeah. hey, I'm, what about this, people? But, but she was very heavily implying to me that she worked at night, and I was like, that's kind of how I took it. And it's like she was trying to sleep in the day. Okay, but later I came to find out that she totally doesn't work at night at all, and she's just being a dick. Mm. So uh, I think if I played my bagpipes, then she'd have no room to bitch, right? Theoretically. <laughs> Some people are just unhappy. All right. Some people. I saw on Twitter the other day that um, your work was complaining about you playing your bagpipes. You were oh, well, 500 was, feet away. <laughs> she, it and was, they that, still That were, was hilarious, actually. Uh, it, they weren't really complaining. They were just like, can you move slightly further away? Because they were having a first aid refresher course. Because on the school bus, you actually have, you know, everybody has to be first aid certified for CPR and all that yeah. stuff. And they got their refresher course going on. And they said they couldn't hear the training videos. <laughs> oh, my God. Because apparently the walls of our temporary building that aren't we that use thick. for our training class and break room are not very thick. Which I thought was hilarious. But still, 500 but, feet away? Right, yeah. My lord. Doesn't help that bagpipes are the loudest acoustic instrument in the world. Anyways, welcome to Drink to the Past. Uh, in case you've been you know, wondering who we are just blabbering, I'm sure you're not. Because you clicked on a link purposefully, I assume, to get here. So uh, if you didn't, if, if you got here by accident, then you're still welcome to listen. But like, how the hell did that even happen? Is that, is that possible? I don't know. Uh... If they are listening to this on the Podbean app, mm-hmm. Bean Pod, whatever, they'll just randomly throw different um, podcasts at you. Huh. Which, I mean, it's weird. I haven't had that problem. Oh, I have. It's weird. just like, you listen to Critical Role. Here's like 50 different other. I mean, it gives Dungeons you suggestions, Dragons. but it doesn't, like, play them. Oh, it'll just sometimes randomly just... Oh, will it? It, it just huh. started... I had to uninstall Podbean for my phone huh. because it kept automatically downloading all the podcasts that I listen to when I'm off at work, and that eats up my data. <laughs> so I'm like... I think you can change the settings on that. I've tried. Hmm. I don't know how. I just... I did not set it to do that, and but for some reason, it's just like I'm just gonna automatically download every episode of Critical Role ever. I'm like, that's over 200 episodes of four-hour <laughs> sessions of D and D. That's insane. And yeah. Podbean is like, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like the first day I got uh, one of my phones or another. I think I uh, started. Uh, downloading something at home and then I walked away and it I thought it would just keep downloading on Wi-Fi only yeah uh, but it was it was like a couple of like big album torrents from oh uh, wow yeah and suddenly I get this text message that's like you're about to hit your data cap for the month it's like the third and you're like <laughs> uh what hold on <laughs> yeah so I'm gonna do a little experiment this month I uninstalled Podbean on my phone, mm-hmm. I'm gonna see if I still have data. 
Because <laughs> for like the last two and a half weeks, I've had no data. Mm. Well, I've had data, but it was horribly, horribly, uh, whatever that word is. It was like reduced is. speed. Yeah, it was like yeah. down to kilobytes instead of megabytes. I was like, cool. Yeah. I literally basically unusable. I literally have dick for data. Right. So. Yeah. Anyways, um, I'm Sean Michael Patrick Thompson, as always the host, and uh, today Chris's part will be played by Peyton. That's a me. Yeah, you can follow him on Twitter or something. Uh, Patano Prime at Gmail dot poop. Hmm. No, no, uh, Patano Prime. That's it's Patano it. Prime. Yeah. Anyway, right now I'm going by Pumpkin Prime because. Well, pumpkin pie prime because it's Thanksgiving. Yeah, pumpkin pie is fucking great. Um, if you don't like pie, you can just stop at pie. I, yeah, most no most pie is fucking great. I yeah, like pie. I I have yet to eat a single. No, I don't like cherry pie. Huh. I don't like cherries though. I just I guess just don't, don't like, like the flavor. Cherries it won't work. Yeah. Uh, do you like raspberries? Oh, I love. I have like. <laughs> He's sitting here with a gallon and a half of. Raspberry, raspberry iced tea, tea man. Uh, so, uh, one of today's beers of the week is a raspberry Kolsch, and I have poured you a very tiny sampling. Oh, dear Lord. Is it a beer? It is a beer. Oh, no. And if there is any beer that I have ever had that you will like, it is this one. So mm-hmm. if you don't like it, I will never give you a beer again, because you won't like them. <laughs> well, <laughs> it smells like raspberry. Smells, yeah. well, it smells like alcohol. Oh. You know me. I don't <laughs> have the refined smell of you alcohol snobs. Well, shove your nose in more beers. I don't want to. The, <laughs> you think I like the smell of alcohol? It kind of smells like apple cider a little bit for some reason to me. Mm-hmm. When I went on my trip on to Utah for um, there's a park out there called Evermore. Huh. It's like a it's like a theme park for Dungeons and Dragons, and you can go and dress up as like your favorite Dungeons and Dragons whatever. And they give you quests and stuff in the park, and you gotta go complete these quests. You can join guilds and stuff. They just built it, I think, like this year or last year. So hmm. they Neat. still don't have everything fully. But when I went there, um, my my friends and I were just like, you know, we're a bunch of dudes hanging out in a hotel on vacation. So of course alcohol is involved. Huh. So they're just like, Peyton, you should That's buy never something. happened to me. I know. I'm kidding. I have alcohol everywhere I go. <laughs> so they're just like, Peyton, you should buy some. I was like, okay. So I went in. I'm like, what's the one alcohol that I enjoy? Mead. Mead is I love, great. If you don't like alcohol and you want to get into it or, you know, just you just want to get into it, I would suggest mead. Mead is light. It's not hard. And it, it's got a nice taste. It's honey wine, for those who don't know. But this mead I had was... Cinnamon apple pie mead, mm-hmm. and it tasted like alcohol. I've had several apple cr- meads, of, and but it was cinnamon apple. apple pie. Yeah, yeah, that sounds really good. Oh, uh, yeah, that good. With honey in there, with too. that kind of a little bit of extra spice in there. Oh, I, yeah. I imagine that it, would be really good. It was, it was like a, you know, it was kind of like a hot sauce. It kicked me in the nose a little bit. Right. But then, like after the kick, all the settle, like you know all the sweetness just mm-hmm. kind of settled and you're like oh there it is right if you can get past the taste of alcohol right. but, so uh, anyways this one is called princess yum yum it's from denver beer company princess yum it is called princess yum yum uh i uh talked to somebody who worked at the brewery originally i think and they told me that when they first introduced this beer the brewer would only let them sell it if 
they ordered it by its full name, they couldn't say, I want the raspberry Kolsch. They had to say, I want a princess yum yum. <laughs> He's like, nope, say it. Yeah. Say it right. <laughs> yeah. What do you think of that? Hmm. I'll be honest, I barely taste the alcohol in there. Yeah. The raspberry is absolutely suppressing the taste of the alcohol. Yeah, this is a really one of the fruitiest fruit beers that I've ever had, which is why Inch. I thought you might like it. I enjoy this a lot, actually. Cool. Holy shit. Finally, a beer that I – an alcohol Yeah, because a Kolsch like. is a light-style beer anyway, uh, so there's not as much – alcohol beer flavor yeah they're um, usually fairly light alcohol content too i'm not i don't remember what this one is offhand um it is a 4.8 so that's relatively light uh that's like oh, actually yeah. very slightly above coors and uh guinness uh which rank in at 4.4 yeah well guinness is like the highest alcohol content for a corporate beer out there it's probably one of, if not the, because depends on what kind of things you're looking at. That's yeah, uh, that's because I don't want to say that actually. Yeah, I mean, corporate beer can mean a lot of things, so it's it's hard yeah. to tell. Uh, you know, especially when you get to uh, you know, corporate beers that technically own craft breweries. That's like now, where do you draw the line? Like Breckenridge yeah. Brewery was uh, a couple of years ago bought out by Anheuser Busch, so oh. it's now basically owned by the guys that make bud yeah and but they're still making the same beers that they did under the same recipes just they're distributing a lot larger network because they have you know the much larger uh brand behind did, them did you hear the new belgium brewery got bought out oh did they yeah they, they make sold. a lot of different things yeah uh, i thought you would get interested um i would yeah because i I remember you and Tyler and Owen talk about the New Belgium Beer Company a few uh, times. Yeah, New Belgium is a pretty big one anyways. Uh, their yeah. biggest one is Fat Tire, which is actually widely available. If there's a craft beer on the menu at a bar, it's often Fat Tire. Like, probably got a 50-50 chance of it being Fat yeah, Tire. Um, the uh, Denver if, Post... You know, if it's one of those kind of... That's like, oh, we have like two craft beers on tap, and yeah. it's like, usually one of them will be Fat oh, Tire. that's it. Um, so, um, Denver Post put the New Belgium Brewing Colorado... New Belgium Brewing, Colorado's largest craft brewery, announces sale to international beer conglomerate, and they're selling out to... The Australian-based Lion Little World Beverages Company. So that's interesting. Some Australian company came along and bought out. Um, yeah, the about, and biggest I, one in Colorado. I everyone I I knew they were big. I didn't know they were that big. I knew like all of my friends who like to get into beer or alcohol, just alcohol. Mm -hmm. I have heard the name New Belgium come out of their mouths yeah. multiple times because New Belgium is really popular like they yeah. make really good beers apparently yeah, all of them so. i've never had a bad beer from them i can't say that they're my favorite uh but i haven't had a bad beer from them so yeah that. so i saw that on the news the other day i was like oh if speaking anyone, of news yeah we're gonna move on to our news and booze segment news. that's the segment where we drink booze and talk about the news so uh what would you rate that beer on a scale of three to seventeen three 
What? It's a scale of 3 to 17. It's just like um, rolling your stats when you create a new character. You roll 46 and drop the lowest one to get a number between 3 and 18. Uh, but mm. most of the time, if you have an 18, you're cheating. So we just cut off the scale at 17. Okay. Um, well, since this is the first alcoholic drink that I actually can stand and drink and not want to puke my guts out, I'll give it a full 17. Sweet. So. Yeah. I don't think it's quite up there but i mean i like for you yeah it's not exactly the same style i like it uh it's one of my favorite fruity beers i just like fruit i just like fruity stuff yeah i that's what i love about fruits like vegetables and meats and like they all generally have the same flavor Mm -hmm. but when you have like a blueberry drink or a banana drink or a watermelon drink like it's the the range of flavors is bigger Right. That's why I like fruit things. Just fruits taste. They have a wider range. I just like variation. Variation is good. Yeah. So. Definitely. Um, so I am also drinking this because I didn't figure you'd want to drink very much, if any at all. I wasn't expecting you even. No. I wasn't. Like, I'm, I was like, are you even going to finish that one ounce pour I gave you? Uh, probably. Okay. Actually. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm more of a tea drinker, though, because tea is... Yeah. Tea is my lifeblood at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to quit soda really hard. Mm-hmm. I just don't like soda anymore. It makes me feel... I don't know. I can't explain it. it. Like When I drink soda now, it feels like it's eating my esophagus away. Like mm-hmm. It feels like I'm drinking acid at this point. And it's just like... <laughs> I don't enjoy drinking. It doesn't make me feel great when I drink soda. Like, don't get me wrong. Soda tastes great. I mean, I just had a full thing of Baja Blast from... Right. But it's Baja Blast. When right. you go to Taco Bell, you order Baja Blast. Yeah, this is just one of the things you do, right? It's a law of the universe. Like, yeah. if you don't, you're stupid. And mm-hmm. You're doing it wrong. Right. So, so you could just become an alcoholic instead. I don't want to be an alcoholic. Okay, I'll do that for you. My so grand- that you don't have yeah. to. I am taking the weight off your shoulders by drinking a bunch of beer. My grandfather's an alcoholic, so mm-hmm. I don't want to... I don't want to go down that path. Yep, and that's just fine. That's why I gave you a little portion. Anyways, uh, back to the news. Um, first news topic I think you will be maybe impressed by. I don't know if you've heard this, but in the first two days after it's released, Pokemon Sword and Shield sold, sold 2 million copies in the United States alone. In Japan, it was 6 million. Uh, 6 million actually is for the worldwide data oh, sorry. for the opening weekend. So 6 yeah. million worldwide sales in the opening weekend, which is including Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So by now, like, it could be 12 million, you know, See, theoretically. What I, what I like about is the Pokemon community whined and complained about the national decks, and then, and then they turn around and they buy it. Yeah, right. They that buy was, it anyway. Well, that, that's kind of my thing, is, like, since the moment that they were talking about this, I've been saying that it's probably just a very vocal minority, because most of the people I know are, like... This yeah, game's great. Some of them like are a little upset that some of their favorite Pokemon aren't coming or that the national decks isn't back. But literally, I Let only me... know one person that I know for a fact that has ever caught every Pokemon in a single Pokemon game. Okay, so two. Now I know I you caught, have. I caught uh, all and my brother Dan has caught all of them, but only in Gen One. After that, I I caught. All... I assume you probably did in maybe I, a couple of them because you're caught, a lot more hardcore than I know. Most yeah, I caught all Pokemon. I completed my Pokedex in Sapphire and Ruby because those are my favorite games. When Diamond and Pearl came out, I completed all 493 Pokemon in mm-hmm. Diamond and Pearl. So those are the only two games I ever completed. Um, I plan on completing the Pokedex in Sword and Shield. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't like people complain about the national decks and all this stuff being ripped out of Sword and Shield, but when I took a step back to analyze Sword and Shield a little bit deeper, then I honestly am pro non-national decks, and mm -hmm. here's why. National decks, in my opinion, so when you go online to battle people, there are some people who just like to go online and battle. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's PokeTubers all over the place. They do it, and I used to watch a few PokeTubers, and they're really good background noise or just watching them because you learn really cool, fun strategies and techniques yeah. and builds, and just... Watching people battle Pokemon is one of the funnest parts of Pokemon. Uh -huh. I'm not huge in the, like the official world tournaments because the things with world tournaments is they're all the same team. Literally, it's like Raichu, Whale, or Kyogre. Every person right. is wearing that team. Just each one's using it differently, just a little bit. But mm. when you when Sun and Moon came out, I was super upset with Sun and Moon because. The story was terrible. The new Alolan Pokemon were just ugly. I didn't like them. I liked some of them. Some uh, of them were okay. The other ones I'm just like... But, like like Alolan Muck, I was just like, it's basically the same, but it's a yeah. rainbow now. Who cares? It's, I'm not but that impressed. The part that really set me... Because I, I am not like super competitive in Pokemon Battle. I kind of am. Mm -hmm. But when you go online to battle someone... You have over 900 to 1,000 Pokemon that you have to worry about and contend with. Mm -hmm. so when you have that much Pokemon in a competitive scene, it kind of like fuddles with it, deludes it, whatever you want to use, whatever word. It kind of messes it up a right. lot. So that's why I argue that Sapphire and Ruby and Diamond and Pearl were like the prime days of competitive Pokemon. <coughs> Because you didn't mm. have too many Pokemon, but you also didn't have too few Pokemon. Right. So when sort when Silver and Gold came out and uh, Steel and Dark type Pokemon first came out, it was like you had like a very tiny amount of Steel and Dark type Pokemon. So yeah. if you wanted to be like a Steel um, Pokemon trainer, like you had like four Pokemon to choose from. Right. And it was just like I would. So Sapphire and Ruby came out. Sapphire and Ruby was such a pivotal moment in Pokemon. Like, I fell in love with those games immediately. I bought them. Uh, so when Sword and Shield came out and they're like, we're only putting 400 Pokemon in it, I was praising the sky for it. Because mm -hmm. now, instead of having over 1,000 Pokemon right. thrown into the competitive scene, now we only have 400 to deal with. And only like three of them are legendary. Thank you. That is exactly what I wanted. So now, when you had over a thousand Pokemon, you had like what twenty, twenty-five. If uh, legendary Pokemon, you had to worry about. So you go online and you might battle a dude who had a prime. Uh, what is it? Primordial form. I forgot what they're called. Uh, uh, right, the primordial. Uh, yeah. Groudon and Kyogre. Kyogre. They might have those guys and. Mega Rayquaza on their team. Yeah, and, it was funny because you know, uh, I, I remember I was playing a lot back in that day online, and in X and Y, I would do pretty good online battling with a couple of my teams. And then the legendaries come and then, in, and they just yeah, ruin when, your day. When Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire came out, the meta was in casual 
if you don't have those three Pokemon, yeah. literally all three of lose. them, yeah, you just lose. You lose. Because otherwise, uh, especially in triple battles, which is yes. basically the only thing, because I really love triple battles, so that was all I played online uh, yeah. in that generation. And so I'd go in in triple battles, and, like, as soon as I was, like, I transferred my whole team, basically, all my teams up yeah. to the new one. Uh, and I was, you know, basically just using the same strategy, but it was being shut down because but, of... because they were like, oh, I control all of the weather effects. Yeah. You know, whichever one suits me the most right now. And, and I was like, okay, so I had a water team and a fire team, and I thought actually Primal Groudon would do good on my fire team, uh, yeah. and Kyogre would do, and but with just one of them, I didn't have the Your diversity because. They could yeah. then throw out the other, or throw out a pro or a Mega Rayquaza to just, just nullify. Uh, so the fact that those three Pokemon's effects could only be affected by yeah. those three Pokemon was just so so game breaking because it was really annoying because my Fire Team and my Water Team yeah. were partially based on uh, weather, weather and uh, Trick Room. Yeah. Uh, so my I had a Mega Charizard on my fire team, Obviously. and he would yeah he'd uh, bring out the you know Blazing Sun, and all my fire team would be you know powered up, and oh, I get yeah. uh, one turn Solar Beams with my Magmortar too, which was like nobody ever saw that coming. And oh, it was yeah. great. But as soon as you've got one Primal on your team, it's like hey whatever your ability is, uh, screw you. Uh, <laughs> it was really so, annoying. So honestly, Sword and Shield is. Uh, it's a breath of fresh air, honestly. That's what I feel like Pokemon Sword and Shield is. That's it's awesome. a it's a breath of fresh. So you have a more controlled environment mm -hmm. for the competitive Pokemon scene. The casual scene is still really good because the game people are complaining that the game is too easy. Well, mm -hmm. when you're someone like me who knows the stats, strategies, items, like you know how right. to optimize your pokemon to be of course it's going to be super easy but like what about people like i have friends who just play pokemon because i want to play with psyduck because i like psyduck and if you're competitive you're like psyduck sucks like, <laughs> right but my friend just wants to play the pokemon game and just wants to make their psyduck really good and you're like okay sword and shield is not that challenging uh, of course, it's going to have its challenging moments, obviously, in the game. Right. But you can still use, like, for the first time when I played through Sword and Shield, I used a Maractus. Uh-huh. Maractus is not good competitive whatsoever. But for some reason, I was absolutely wrecking face with the Maractus. <laughs> because I found out, holy crap, it's got a good moveset. Because I taught it Leech Seed, Giga Drain, Sucker Punch, and Spiky Shield. So oh, wow. All, Actually, that's a great moveset. All I did was... Leech seeded you, and then spiky shielded, and if you hit me, you got yourself hurt. Yeah, and then, and you then heal the leech seed would, and my Maractus would just keep racking up health, and then when mm. your health was like a little smidget, and you're like, all right, I'm gonna thwack your Maractus. My Maractus goes sucker punch. Yeah. you're dead. I go first. Next Pokemon. You're screwed. Yeah, it's and actually she, pretty cool. And she like that Giga strategy. Drain too. So it's just yeah, like, so just if you need that extra heal too, you got that option. Yeah, and then um, I. Got a Como O, which is probably one of the good Pokemon from Sun and Moon, because mm. he's this dragon fighter Pokemon. Dragon fighting is just a yeah. kind of an awesome type combo too. And I found out in Sword and Shield, or uh, Sword and Shield, he can learn Dragon Dance, which is one of the oh, stupidest God. moves ever. 
and drain punch. Mm -hmm. So I go dragon dance. My attack and speed go up. And of course, on your turn, you're going to hit my coma O. And I'm like, mm-hmm. ow, I lost health. Good thing I have Drain Punch. Mm-hmm. And so my Coma-O would just sit there and go, Dragon Dance, punch, give me that health back. Next Pokemon comes out, Dragon Dance, Drain Punch again. So my Coma-O, as the battle goes on, just gets faster and stronger. Yeah. And he's got the Drain Punch there just to sap life away. It's mm-hmm. just So when you have setups like that on your Pokemon, of course the game is going to be easy. Now, when I got to Leon and battled his Gigantamax Charizard, mm-hmm. but, oh man, I sweated hard. Because mm-hmm. my dumbass didn't put a Rock-type Pokemon on my team. I'm like, cool, cool. a Rock-type would have absolutely There's destroyed... randomly wandering around Tyranitars, and you didn't put a Rock-type Yeah, I even, I even <laughs> since I got the dual pack, they gave me a download code for a, um, a special um, Max Raid Larvitar? No, oh, okay. uh, Larvitar, right? Yeah, Larvitar is the first one. Yeah. So I got a max rate Larvitar just right off the bat in the beginning of the game. So I was like, cool. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to use it because I don't like Tyranitar. Like, that would have yeah. been like one of the first Oh, ones. yeah. Tyranitar is one of my favorite Pokemon. Tyranitar would have just design. wrecked Charizard's face. It was just yeah. like, cool, Charizard, punch, <laughs> Right, dead. like what, two Stone Ages? <laughs> yeah. And then at the ending of the game when you fight your um, rival and he catches the other legendary, mm-hmm. it's just, so I played Shield first. Mm-hmm. And so my rival had Zacian, the sword wolf, good old great wolf Sif from Dark Souls. Right. And I completely destroyed Hop's team except Zacian. Second Zacian came out, Zacian's just like, oh, you have a Pokemon team? It'd be a shame if I took the sword and just shish kebobbed all of them in one foul swoop. And you're like, how is this thing wrecking my team? <laughs> I've been destroying Pokemon Shield up until this point. For some reason, this stupid Zacian, because, like, he sends out Zacian, so I send out uh, Zamazenta, Mm -hmm. and I was like, cool, I have big, bulky Shield Wolf. He can take your hit. Critical hit. What the fuck? (laughs) You poor bastard. It literally won, because Zamazenta's ability is, when he comes out, his defense automatically goes up. Mm -hmm. Like, his defense stat just goes, and you're like, cool, I can take hits. (laughs) Crit, motherfucker. Fucker. Right. All right. Anyways, moving on to the next uh, news topic, uh, so we don't spend all day. Because mm. I'm sure you could spend all day talking about Pokemon. I could go on. But we're going to talk about your uh, other favorite sorry. game that you've got recently in a little bit here. So. Are we going to talk about Death Stranding? Maybe. Oh, man. I love right. it. I've but, only played like three hours of it. I need to put Pokemon down for five seconds and right. get back to that. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but the next, uh, actually, last news topic, only two this week. Not a lot of news. But. Kind of big news. Um, Valve announced oh. <laughs> Half-Life Alex, which is actually what they're calling a flagship VR game, releases March 2020. So it's it's not Half-Life 3 like everybody wanted, but you know, it's it's something Half-Life. And Half-Life fans sound like they're actually kind of excited about this. It, it looks saw, kind of interesting. I saw a meme today. It's a scene from SpongeBob. Oh yeah. And so SpongeBob like flips the burger and he's got Valve written on him mm-hmm. and the burger lands and he's like cooking it and the customers are looking through the window and they're like, oh, oh, look at that. And the burger says just Half-Life Alex on it. And SpongeBob goes, oh, they like it when I make more games. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> 
was just like, really? <laughs> like, this is what Half-Life fans have been worrying, or been like, you know, Right, they just want for. something, whether it's a, so it's, it's kind of ambiguous at this point, whether this is a prequel, a sequel, something that happens yeah. in the middle of Half-Life 2, nobody's really 100% sure. I, but, still, uh, I still theorize that Half-Life 2, Episode 2 was Half-Life 3. Right. Just Gabe, <laughs> just title it differently just mm-hmm. to troll and annoy the half-life community right so they'll never get up to three <laughs> so what he's waiting for is the community finally to realize it and go oh you're right can you give us half-life four and he goes there we go <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that'd be hilarious um but yeah um so it sounds kind of interesting are you big into half-life at all i played the first one didn't like it. Okay. Played the second one, the first episode. Didn't like it enough to continue to the second one. So I was like, meh. The coolest mm. thing about, like, the coolest part about this game is grab guns and head crabs. That's it. Right. Boom. I walk away. That's it. I thought the story was kind of engaging. I didn't play a long way through it. Uh, I only played Half-Life 2. It was, it was mm. kind of fun. I thought I liked the engine okay, but it, it was... just, I felt like it was way overshadowed by the things that came out of it like um yeah uh, well, uh, counter-strike valve because i played a, a crap load of counter-strike oh, yeah. back in the day and uh team gary's mod, 2. when gary's mod 2 came out of because valve mm-hmm. at the time built such a revolutionary physics engine for their game like the physics engine was so accurate and good that they literally made a video game off of it called portal and you know how successful Portal Two was. Everyone loves Portal Two, right? Yeah. So it's just like, I mean, if you can continue with that kind of like ideas with, um, your like really good gravity system engine, whatever you put in your game. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the fact that VR is now becoming a thing in video gaming, I think this is the perfect time to release a new Half Life game. Because mm-hmm. think about it. VR grab gun. That's all I have to say. That would be that's all I have to say. That's, that's literally how Gabe Newell had to go. He could right. just walk up on the stage, say nothing except Oculus Rift. Grab gun. I mean, gun. the gravity gun was cool enough that Doom Three copied it in their uh, yeah. expansion pack. So it's just like grab more gun. or less. They did a little bit of different things with it because it was also kind of interesting in Doom Three. You could actually yeah. grab like uh, projectiles that mm-hmm. like uh, enemies threw plasma balls at you and you could grab them and shoot it back at the demons they kind of they kind of did that in um titanfall one when Mm -hmm. you got in your titan your titan got like i forgot what it was called it was like the kinetic shield or whatever and your titan Mm -hmm. would just hold his hand out and you get like this wave of energy around you and when people Mm -hmm. shot you it would stop the bullets in midair and if you released it it sent the bullets back you're just like that needs to be in more video games. Titanfall was such a good game. So speaking of Half-Life and VR, how badass would Portal be in VR? I'd probably die. (laughs) Um, They would have to immediately, like, before the game even comes out, slap a health warning label on it. Just like, you might get vertigo. You might get nausea. You might get... You might want to die at the end of this, but you're going to have so much... Because you've, right, yeah. <laughs> you've seen the videos of people online doing VR, and the mm-hmm. VR just messes with your brain and your... 
Yeah. Uh, it, like, I've seen people, like, lean forward and, like, smash their heads into right. tables. Cause... I felt it a tiny bit. I haven't really done much with VR, but I got the Nintendo Labo VR kit and played a little yeah. bit of Breath of the Wild. Um, I played Skyrim VR when it first came out because oh, okay. it's Skyrim, my favorite game of all time. I had to play the VR version, uh-huh. and I'm sitting there playing the VR version. And I'm like, so it's such a weird feeling, mm-hmm. but it's so cool at the yeah. same time. I think the biggest issue with Breath of the Wild wasn't necessarily just that it's VR, but that it was like you don't really control it like a traditional VR game because you kind of control the camera almost as though you're just moving the stick by moving your head. So what I found was actually much more helpful is like using the VR headset and just kind of, you know, moving with the sticks instead. Because then it's like you're still getting that kind of 3D pop effect that the VR gives you, but you're not like having this disassociative moving where you're like rotating your head and seeing the camera move differently to how you're rotating your head which i that's what i thought because after i turned off the motion control and i just started moving with the sticks i had no problems and i like i went in and i actually it was pretty cool because i just looked around some of the vistas of breath Mm -hmm. of the wild and i i fought a boss i fought uh thunderblight ganon Oh, uh, that was kind of hardest. Cool. Yeah, actually, it's it's funny because you know he's the hardest boss. So in my so latest stupid. playthrough, I went straight for him. <laughs> it's like just get him out of the way. Yeah. Uh, but, so what you're saying is, Nintendo needs to re-release Link's Crossbow Training with VR. Fuck yes. On the Switch and Pokemon Snap. Those two games with VR. Yes, with VR. I <laughs> I got curious one day, so I whipped out my N64. It was just like, I haven't played this thing since I was a kid. So I put in Pokemon Snap. I'm like, I remember when I was a kid, I spent hours playing Pokemon Snap. (laughs) I'm like, let's see how long it takes me to beat it. 30 minutes. That game took me 30 minutes to beat it. Yeah. And then you go back in 100%, it's like another 30 minutes? No. I 100%ed it in 30 minutes. (laughs) I was just like, well, I guess in my... In, like, the game's defense, I knew what to do. Right, yeah. Because it was just like, well, if you do this, you get right, this. Right, yeah, because you remember a lot of the things but when I was surprised. Because actually, uh, I think Chris and I did that, too, one day when nobody else showed up to D&D at his house. And he was just like, Pokemon Snap. Yeah, we played Pokemon Snap. We did it another day, too. We sat down and uh, played through the story of Dragon Ball Z Budokai, which was also Budokai really one? short. Yeah, in the original one. Oh, wow. Yeah, because the, the original story was actually pretty short. And then you had the post-game, which was... I think about the same, but it was like all from the opposite perspective, and it was like, what if Vegeta killed Goku in the first season, and or something like that? Uh, I don't remember. Uh, it's been a long ass time. So, anyways, moving on to our video game topic of the week. Uh, so, since we've both been playing a lot of Death Stranding, or you probably played some it more than Death I Stranding. Have, yeah, actually. I actually haven't played very much. I was expecting you to have played more than three hours. I know. Well, Pokemon. <laughs> came out i was like oh why do you do this and well see here's my problem uh destiny shadow keep came out Mm -hmm. i hate you (laughs) just stranding came out i double hate you Mm -hmm. uh borderlands 3's bloody harvest is going on right now Uh i triple hate you (laughs) and they just announced their um new dlc last wednesday i quadruple hate you and then pokemon sword and shield came out last friday i quinn whatever five times hate you (laughs) right so now i'm like i have all these games i have to juggle i have to juggle um destiny shadow keep because now they just made it cross save now Mm -hmm. 
and uh, Steam just released Destiny 2 for free. I was like, oh, so all my friends who have gaming PCs got Destiny 2, and they're like, Peyton, you need to play with us. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> and then, you know, Borderlands 3... It, I love Borderlands 3 so much. It's <laughs> such a good game. Death Stranding came out. I've been waiting years for Death Stranding because... Yeah. You know how much, yeah, it was. You know how much of a Hideo Kojima fan I yeah, am. Yeah, like, just, and I've liked some of his. I I never really got into Metal Gear. Metal Gear, I, the, uh, the original Metal Gear on on NES. I really liked. If you have the uh, time. I've and played just, some of the Metal Gear solids, but I never got very far in them. Just because I'm not big on stealth, but I really liked what of the story you, that I was seeing. You would have appreciated Metal Gear Solid Five. I really wish you played it when it first came out. Okay. Metal Gear Solid Five was. Maybe I'll check that out because that's if you ever, probably cheap on PS4. Now, yeah, if huh? you ever get the chance and you just want a game to just play just casually metal gear solid 5 was hideo kojima's last big project before death stranding yeah but metal gear solid 5 was really close to pushing metal gear solid 3 mm-hmm. off of best metal gear for me like metal gear 3 has been at the top and right. 5 just slowly started pushing. I was like, oh, this is getting very dangerously close. Right, yeah. So I know what that feeling is like, because that's basically what I was thinking of uh, when I Breath of the Wild came out, and it's trying to dethrone Ocarina of Time, and it that one was one that came I close for me. didn't like Breath of the Wild. That, like, I liked Breath of the Wild. It was good, don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. But I just didn't like that it was just a mostly empty world. I'm sorry, Zelda fans. It's just for you. That's a topic that actually I think is going to yeah. come up. So let's go okay. into our ta- uh, or our video game topic. Actually, okay. uh, what makes Death Stranding work with little to no traditional action? Mm-hmm. At least as far as we've played, because I've played about seven hours. You've played about three. Ish. So we've got you know pretty good first impressions. I think. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of want to ask if this could be applied to another game. So I might actually kind of look at that question first. Okay. Because one of the things that I love most about Breath of the Wild, as well as Death Stranding, is just traveling the world is fucking fun. Okay. I love walking around in both of these worlds. Just even if I don't really have a purpose, I just want to walk around, see the world, go over mountains, but figure out how to surmount mountains in the certain counter, places. But yeah. The counter-argument to that is, what I love about Hideo Kojima is when Hideo Kojima makes a game, he puts his like entire being into this mm-hmm. game. So when you watch interviews with Hideo, uh, Hideo Kojima, he talks about how when he creates video games, he wants it to be not only visually pleasing, but the story is mm-hmm. good, albeit weird. Like, yeah. all, if you want, if you play a Metal Gear game, you would understand what I mean. When the stories are just weird, yeah. Like when you first played Metal Gear Solid Three, um, when Vulcan just put bullets in his hands, like he just put out, took out bullets, not a gun, bullets, puts <laughs> them in his hands, and you're like, okay, what does that? And he uses electrical charges. <laughs> To punch and shoot bullets. <laughs> and I'm like, that is such a weird superpower, but I dig it. <laughs> right. Um, so when so that when you first play Death Stranding, the first thing that you're introduced are the game's mechanics. Yeah. And it just goes, get from point A to point B. Now in any other video game, like in Breath of the Wild, getting from point A to point B, easy, done. All you have to do is push the stick. But in Death Stranding, it's like you have to watch your stamina. You have to watch your 
wait because Sam has all those packages, and if you're not careful, right. uh, the packages like if you put too many packages on your left side, Sam will start leaning to the left. So yeah. you gotta so so that's kind of where the, I'm coming from though. Yeah. is talking about just the travel mechanics uh, relative Death to both Stranding. the games. Yeah. Uh, in Breath of the Wild, I feel like it's Death Stranding almost feels like an extension of something that Breath of the Wild started. Uh, See if Breath of the because Wild Breath had, of the Wild kind of has it has that stamina gauge. It has these obstacles that it, you have to go around, and you can tackle them in a lot of different ways. There are more ways. puzzles and I, though. But yeah, in and Death I think Stranding, Death Stranding is a very highly extended version of the same concept. It's got a lot of mechanics that you got to worry about. Yeah, and I honestly believe if Kojima was put in charge of Breath of the Wild, mm-hmm. Breath of the Wild would have blown every game out of the water. <laughs> Like, think of it. If you're Link, you have all that gear you're carrying with you. So you have, like, the sword, the bow, the shield, all that. So what if, like, you know, Link pulls out a sword and a shield, and if you're not careful, your character will slip. Like, Link will slip. Uh Like, if you're fighting in the rain. Have you ran in wet grass during the rain? Mm -hmm. It's super slippery. And in Death Stranding, they made that a mechanic. It's just like, oh, Lord, I can't... like. When you go down yeah. a hill, and there's, like there's some of these weather effects too in Breath of the Wild. Yeah, so that's kind of where but I think not it's to like, the yeah, that's that, yeah, of, like Death which Stranding. is one of the the thing I love most about Death Stranding because it reminds me of Breath of the Wild, but it takes all of these concepts to the yeah. next level. And it's amazing, Hideo Kojima, he's not as much as he made the Metal Gear games and he loves them. Mm-hmm. Kojima will admit that combat, a good video game, does not revolve around combat. Like, you know how people just want to play Call of Duty and stuff? Like, you play Call of Duty because you want to shoot people, and that's mm. why it's fun. And if you took out the combat in Call of Duty, Call of Duty sucks. Yeah, like, it, who cares about the story? Yeah, who cares about yeah. the story? So, and to an extent, I, you know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with designing no. games like that, but certainly, like, but Koji- I, I see the point. Yeah. Kojima was like, violence and combat does not make a video game inherently good. Mm-hmm. You need to make the game constantly, you know, entertaining, whether you're in combat, you're just walking from point A to point B, mm-hmm. you're trying to read like, and that's what I love about <laughs> Death Stranding. It's just like, you really feel like when you're out in the wild by yourself and you mm-hmm. got the, you got the BTs on you, yeah. you really do feel stranded. Like if you're not back at like a town or a city, you're screwed. Like you're screwed up the butt. Mm-hmm. And because remember when that first scene when uh, you have to go, like not trying to spoil it too much, but when you have to go uh, incinerate the body for the first time, right? Yeah. And you go up the mountain, and yeah, it just gets it's like literally the first time that warmed yeah. with BTS. Like for the first time, I was sweating hard in a video game in yeah. a long... I was like, oh, that dear was God. That kind of crazy, because it was... I really love that they kind of introduced them in a cutscene before that, uh, that basically, for anybody who hasn't played the game, BTs are these invisible monsters that uh, you have the power to see Literally. little little bits of unless you're holding your breath. But if you hold your breath, then they... You lose stamina. Have, yeah, you lose, you stamina, lose stamina, but also the BTs can't hear you as much no. so you make a lot less noise so that's kind of one of the things you have to hide from them but they can't see you and you can only see them a little bit sometimes yeah. so it's it's really 
kind of a wacky mechanic too. And like, but but it's so good. Yeah, the the, the game is the graphics are good. Like everyone, mm-hmm. I remember reading reviews on it, um, before it came out, and a lot of people were saying just like, the game's not good. The mm-hmm. game's only so far. I'm like. I kind of want to take that with a grain of salt right? until I try it. But I think I wholeheartedly believe like people in the video game community has gotten to a point where if the game isn't constantly like, you know, in flow of combat or whatever, like it's just not good anymore. I'm like, that is such. But that's one of the funny things about Death Stranding is that so far, I'm seven hours in. I have not actually had any real combat. Oh, you will. Uh, I, I'm sure I will eventually. But uh, I've found I've had to sneak past these BTs a lot of times. Yep. Uh, and that's kind of where the quote-unquote action comes in because it's it's not like what you would generally think of when you think of action. But there's kind of this, it's a little bit stealth, and then, like, if one of them spots you, then, like, it starts, like, it makes this big black mass on the ground, and you have to, like, escape from it, yeah. and it slowly drains your blood, and if you run out of blood, I assume you die. You die. I haven't yeah. uh, got ever more than to a few point. seconds <laughs> in the, you know, I. it's easy to get out of one, and you can do that pretty well. But the first time I got grabbed by one, I like was just so frantically trying to get out of it that I ran right into another one Aww. and another one. And so I got like three in a row, and they, they got me pretty good. But, uh, but another game... But the other fun part about the game, though, is like, again, when you have to go take the body up to the incinerator, and there's just that little running creek mm-hmm. right over there with the ladder for the first time. In any other video game, it's just like, oh, it's a creek. And right. Death Stranding is like, oh, God. Yeah. A creek. It's funny because uh, <laughs> I didn't realize exactly what would happen if you... Just walk through the water? Yeah. Uh, so I walked through the water, and it's like pushing me around. And I'm like, okay, just got to balance. It's fine. It's fine. It's and fine. I walked through a few creeks, and they were fine. And I got to this one pretty large-looking one. I was like, eh, it's uh, probably okay. I've been doing this for a little while. No. And I... I Suddenly, the uh, creek starts sweeping me away, and I yep. dropped all of my cargo. That no. was like not all of it, but like my I think my ladder on my tool rack and some key items that I was supposed to deliver for a quest no. fell off of my backpack. You're like, oh no, no, and no, 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 like, no. First of all, you're suddenly being swept away by this river, and now you've got an alternate control mechanism that you're not used to yep. that you have to kind of paddle your way back to a place where it's shallow enough to stand up. And then I stand up, and I'm like chasing my <laughs> cargo down the creek, but it's all standing in the middle, and I'm using my little, uh, you have like a scanner that'll show you like like uh, yellow areas are hard to cross and red areas are like really, really hard to cross. Yeah. And in the middle of the river, it's red because literally it's too deep to stand up. If you go into the red area at all, you will sink and you will, yeah. you will have to do this again. And so I'm like chasing my stuff down the river and it won't, <laughs> it, uh, it's Is it in the red zone. Yeah. And it's staying yeah. in the red zone. Cause that's where the current is strongest. Obviously. Like, so it's like, uh, I chased it for quite a while until it gave me this little notification that it's like, if you drop key items, you can make them respawn back at the point where you picked them up. And I'm like, oh, okay, make a respawn there. Why didn't you tell me that? Right? Yeah, I'm like, I've been chasing these for 10 minutes. (laughs) But it was fun. Uh, Because the game makes travel fun in a weird sort of a way where it's like you wouldn't think 
if I explain this to somebody that you hold the L and R buttons to balance yourself and make sure you don't fall down, that yeah. sounds like a boring ass game. Yeah. But it is so fun. And I can't exactly explain why, but it's like I actually got to this point where I uh, uh, I got a quest, right? And it's I'm supposed to go to another like little trade town and set up this communication thing there so mm-hmm. that they can communicate back and forth with the guys at my home base. I'm like, okay, cool. And I was kind of not paying as much attention as I should have, and I was also supposed to take like these key items to this yeah. place so that they could build the equipment to communicate with me. But I didn't read that, so I, I was uh, like, oh, why do I have all this extra metal? This is weird. I'm going to put it in my bank. <laughs> and I put it in my bank. <laughs> and I go to the next town, and I'm, like, trying to turn in the quest. And it's like, you have to turn in six pieces of metal. And I'm like, oh, that's what those were for. And so I had – there's no fast travel mechanic in this at all. There which, is, actually. Oh, is there? You just okay. got to get to a certain point. Okay, I haven't yeah. got there yet. Uh, but I don't want a fast travel mechanic. I'm just <laughs> like, okay. Now I have to walk back there, pick up the metal, and walk back, back. And I'm like, through BTs all three ways. (laughs) Uh, But it's like, this is fun. I am having a great time with this. And I I didn't even mind that I had to, especially since I was at a weird point where it's like, the the world is also big enough that I actually took a different route between these two points all three times. Yeah. So it's like it felt like I was seeing something and new then, the entire time. You know, I knew where the BTs were the second and third time, obviously. And then on but, top of that. you know, they, they're kind of sprawled out through a large area. So I, I had to sneak through a different path than yeah. I did the first time. And, and then on top of that, you have to worry about not getting your cargo damaged. Right, yeah, because yeah. if the BTs knock you over, you'll drop your cargo too. Yeah, but if you hold Or if the you cargo, fall down, then your cargo will break. But if you hold the cargo in your hand, it mm. protects them from getting damaged oh that's so, kind of interesting yeah that's a that's a little mechanic because if you notice when you carry him in your hands mm-hmm. uh sam will like put him under his arms and like shield him with his body instead huh. and they won't get damaged but your arms are occupied so you can't do any of the right yeah balancing so balancing must be so more difficult if you know that. like if you're almost to your destination, like your destination is like a hundred feet away and you see some mm-hmm. extra packages, put them up on your little backpack, go over and pick up those two packages with your hands and just uh-huh. walk right into town with them. And you're just like, cool. Right, yeah. I got extra. And, yeah. Uh, and I, Kojima is such, he's just really good at making games. And the fact that, uh, people, judged him and his games before the game even came out mm-hmm. really saddened and disappointed me i'm like you guys haven't even tried the game yet right. some of you have just played the game for a few hours and think this is boring this is stupid mm-hmm. um, it's certainly not traditional but actually i really like the approach that it's taking and i think it's a ton of fun but i agree with you like video games <laughs> that let you travel to like so mm-hmm. one of my favorite games of all time when it first came out and i was angry that it didn't win game of the year because it came out the same year breath of the wild did oh, it yes, would I have done it but, would have uh horizon zero dawn was it's a great game one of the best games i ever played in a very long time <laughs> like hats off to gorilla studios like mm-hmm. and gorilla studios made such a great world uh, engine and stuff that even hideo kojima used that same engine for death stranding yeah so death stranding and 
Horizon Zero Dawn have the same engine mm -hmm. for their games, but they're completely different games. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. But when like I played, you wouldn't even guess that they're oh, related. But when I played through Horizon Zero Dawn, I couldn't stop playing it. I could I could not drop it. Like the story was amazing. The mm. characters were great. The it's design got one of the coolest lores of like any game I've played. Just the, the entire combat was just mm -hmm. <clears throat> they took combat and put it on its head, and you're just like because all you had, like, if you were traditional, all you had was your bow. But you could get other weapons, but I mostly use my bow. Yeah, because your other weapons, I feel like, in that game are mostly for, like, utility. Like, you can set up a trap here uh, and there. Depends, or you can use your actually. trip caster to trip some enemies certain times. Uh, or, like, your shock bombs. I can't remember which one. I felt like most things were utility, and then your primary damage dealers had to be your bow and your spear. I can't remember which one, but it was, like, a... It was like a shotgun giant ass crossbow. Oh yeah. Yeah. So That's you cool. rolled up to like so like when I fought like uh, the thunder jaws or whatever mm. they're called. I uh, forgot the, the big ass alligator the ones. T Rex ones. Oh the, the T Rex. So yeah. when I first fought one, like I didn't know I had to be like a higher level to like do ridiculous amounts of damage to it, but like I fought this thing for like a good like solid twenty five minutes because mm -hmm. this thing was just kicking my ass. But I was I, you know. Bloodborne is my favorite game of all time. Best game I ever played. Um, and I, I completely, 100%, I platinumed Bloodborne, so I got mm -hmm. all the... And when you play as Bloodborne as much as I have, you get pretty good at dodging. Right. So I was just like dodging this dude and everything. And I remember I had that shotgun thing. I can't remember the name of it. And when you, know, when you hit the robots and they fall down on the ground, yeah. leaving themselves vulnerable, mm -hmm. I rolled up on that dude whipped that thing out and just unloaded it and I was yeah. just like holy crap I skilled into damage. some perks that actually that was kind of how I would do it is I'd knock people down and then I had a yeah, thing that I would tree. automatically critical if I hit a downed enemy with my spear and what I like uh, about so that would do just massive damage and what I like about Zerine Zero Dawn and what Kojima does with any of his games honestly mm -hmm. even the Metal Gear series is when you hit a situation the games let you approach the situation in any way you want. So in Horizon Zero Dawn, Metal Gear, or Death Stranding, you can, you know, uh, approach the situation with stealth, or you can go in with guns blazing, or you can, like... Mm -hmm. There's some mechanics in the game where you can turn enemies onto each other and just cause chaos. It's just... So right. games that let you just do whatever you want, but it's still, like... Via, it's a viable option to play it. Those are the good games. Those right, are yeah. games I really like. When you play Call of Duty, I've tried to make like a stealth character in Call of Duty. You know, knives and it just doesn't work. Like right, the it, closest you can get is like hide in a hole and be a sniper. Yeah, even still, but that's the, not the same. The maps are too small in Call of Duty to use a sniper. It depends on which game, because I actually I feel like yeah, in Call of Duty right, Four, actually, well, uh, I, it was like if you were a sniper, you just fucking won. I played. A I was always shotgun guy, and I always fucking yeah. died horribly and got hardly any kills in. God I played four. a shitload of Modern Warfare Two. Mm -hmm. Modern Warfare Two didn't have like the maps in Modern Warfare Two were tiny, 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 tiny. That so, would be wonderful because there was like two good shotgun maps. There was shipments. Oh, if you use shotguns in Modern Warfare Two, yeah, you would you would be other. king. You would be mm -hmm. king. So yeah. it's just games like that. So like Horizon Zero Dawn, Metal Gear, Death Stranding. If you want a good game with good 
world traveling exploration mechanics, except Metal Gear. Uh, mm. No, take that back. Metal Gear Solid Five. So if you want a good Metal Gear mm. where you can explore the worlds, Metal Gear Solid Five. Because in Metal Gear Solid Five, you can straight up just kidnap soldiers and their tanks and stuff and recruit. <laughs> like you, like you straight up go up to a soldier. You like put him in a chokehold, knock him out. You put like a little air hot, like hot air balloon on his butt. <laughs> and the hot air balloon takes him off to your base, and you're like, "Cool, I recruited him." That's how I recruit in this game. That's funny. Or uh, if you like see a transport truck, like this giant ass military transport truck, you're like, "I want that." You mm-hmm. roll over, tra- like tag it or whatever, and out of nowhere, it gets like six of those hot air balloons, <laughs> and it just takes off. Like, cool. Now I have a truck. Nice. That's how Metal Gear Solid Five works. Nice. So you just travel the world. You can do so. Horizon Zero Dawn, Metal Gear Solid V, Death Stranding. If you want a good game that has mechanics as you travel, those are your games. Breath of the Wild, I felt like just not enough. Like, it has the stamina, but like... I really liked the kind of... You kind of get into a formula in exploration with that, where you're like going between climbing and uh, then, you know, walking around and then paragliding. Well, do you know how... And that was really the big thing. And you'd, like, get to the top of something, paraglide yeah. down. You get to the top of something, paraglide. Well, and it's, eventually... that's kind of... It was a little formulaic. But also, I felt like there was enough random weird shit to find... You know, you'd find a goblin camp here and there. Yeah. You'd find, well, eventually, you know, a random Korok seed. So there's there's something to find Eventually, all over I the place. stopped using the sword and shield altogether. Uh-huh. And I was tired of being put in... Uh, there's like one area in the game where you needed heat resistant stuff, and that was Mount Doom. Everywhere else, for right. some reason, was either room temperature or butt ass naked cold. Right. And it's just like, okay, how? So eventually, I became like this. My Link, when I first played Breath of the Wild, my Link was in like the full Hylian knight suit, you know, sword and shield. I was like, cool. I'm a knight. I can take hits for days. Eventually, you reach a point Mm. in the game where that armor means nothing, and you just need to be good with a shield and dodging at that point. Yeah. So (laughs) I was just like, all right, I'm tired of dealing with the cold. So I just wore the... the, Who were the bird people? The... uh Snow quill tuning. Yeah, so I yeah. so I wore, but I I didn't like Rito. I didn't like the headdress, so I wore like the the cape with the hood. Right. So I basically <laughs> looked like a like a ranger. Right, but you only needed two pieces to yeah. get the full buff. Or though. if you had the earrings too, that helped you too. Oh yeah, if you, from the Gerudo town because you could get all the yeah. elemental resistance. But still, I yeah. yeah, I am a big aesthetics guy. I like how my character looks. So Link more or less looked like a ranger hunter dude from the north. Right. I just and, wore the barbarian armor all the time. Oh, barbarian. Gives you the damage, and but I was just like, the sword and the shield are just not that good, because when you have a bow that shoots five arrows at the expenditure of one ammo per shot, and I got ninety nine bomb arrows, all you have to do is fly up high in the sky, pull out your bow, and carpet bomb. It's just like, yeah, literally that strategy kills everything in the game. Like when you fight the. Lionels? Is that what they're called? Yeah. When I first fought a Lionel and he had his flame sword and he came at me and he swung, it set all the grass and ground on me on fire. I was like, oh, here we go. Jump, jump up, on that. Yeah. Start bomb, just carpet bombing. Physics engine. Yeah. And the Lionel's just like, oh, dear God, I can't take 25 <laughs> right. bomb arrows. Anyways, um, 
I think actually we came to a good segue and then we kind of got off topic sorry, from the segue. <laughs> That's sorry. fine. That's half the fun of this podcast. Is like I feel like other podcasts are like, oh no, we have to stick to the topic. But we're just like, no, we're having a fucking conversation. I mean, if you Who want, cares? I can go get weed and do like the Elon Musk thing and just. Did you have you seen that on the Joe Rogan experience? No. <laughs> he, he was on the Joe Rogan experience and he was just sitting there smoking a blunt while they're doing this interview and he's just like. Yeah, this is... All right, well, I mean, I'm going to drink a beer, so knock yourself out. (laughs) Oh, yeah, everyone was pissed off at Elon Musk. I'm like, oh, shut up. You watched the Joe Rogan experience because even Joe Rogan himself said uh, there is no topic that he will not cover. Mm -hmm. Like, all topics are on the table. So So speaking of topics, aha, we came back to a good segue. Mm -hmm. Um, So we were talking about a lot about exploration and moving around the world in a lot of different video games. Yes. Our table topic for today is how to best integrate exploration into a tabletop and should overworld exploration be emphasized differently than dungeon exploration. That's a good... Um, <clears throat> I know I give them infinite amounts of praise because their DM is just basically the DM god. I'm pretty sure if you look in the DM's guide or the player's handbook of D&D, and they have the pantheons. Matt Mercer <laughs> is the DM god, god of DMs. Right. Um, but I just love Critical Role so much. Like, it's... When I first started listening to it, like, a year or so ago, I fell instantly in love with it. Because uh-huh. Matt Mercer is such a good DM. And I strive... When I DM, I strive to be not like Matt Mercer, like... I don't. I want to be like Matt Mercer, as in like the like, you know, he's really good at making encounters. He's really, but I don't want. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I don't yeah. want to be like Matt Mercer. Like, an exact, yeah, you kind of got to develop your own style, obviously. Yeah, no, but to take like things Mercer, from how good DMs do that, I I and completely then make understand. them yours. So, yeah. like, Matt Mercer is good at making encounters, magical weapons. He's really good with the balancing issues and stuff. He's just really good, but he has his own flavor on how he wants to do it. So he's just like, I want to do it like this and this mm-hmm. and this. Um, there is a problem in the D&D community called the Matt Mercer effect, where players uh-huh. expect their DMs to be an exact copy clone of Matt Mercer, huh. which Matt Mercer has came out and said, I don't like that. Like, you be right. you. Sean be Sean Peyton be Peyton it's okay if you're on the same level of quality there you go that's what I'm looking for quality as Matt Mercer so I want to be on the same level of quality as Matt Mercer but like I don't want to make characters and stories and stuff that are literally a copy paste from his first or second campaign and I'm so uh, my biggest uh I guess advice would be listen to Critical Role. Listen how Matt Mercer um, explains his worlds, how he gives his characters the option to explore. Uh, you can buy the Tal the um, the campaign book of Taldore, which mm. was their first campaign. So you can buy the campaign book of Matt's first campaign of Critical Role, and he like when you read the book, he goes through like all like. This is this area of Taldorde. This is why it's important. This is why. So, I mean, w- world building is not easy. Yeah. Any any DM can say that. If you say world building is easy, you're pretentious and you need to get off your high horse. Right. So build like 
when I ever since I was a kid, I've done world building mm. and I'm terrible at it because I am I make like the most stupid cliche things you ever and I try not to be stupid and cliche. So, you know, I don't want to be like hero goes on quest hero saves world, you know, like right. the typical Luke Skywalker story, like almost every hero <laughs> follows that hero's path that um. I can't remember who that one philosopher was. The he talks about the hero's path. Just Google hero's path. Right. So, but world building and exploration in D anD D is it I is kind of tricky. Um, I don't know how to answer that. question. I have a particular honestly. style that I use for world building, and I think it usually ends up being don't you pretty a, good for exploration. You use a random generator, don't you? You uh, got like dice. In some, in yeah. some cases, yeah. Uh, so what I do when I'm starting a world is I come up with the kind of basic concept of the world. Like, let's take okay. my Ragnarok campaign, for example. Okay. I came up with this idea. Actually, I literally had an idea that I wanted to have two gods fighting in the sky above the player characters and just have the town going to shit because it's raining hellfire from above because two gods are having a giant-ass battle in the sky. Okay. That was the original idea that I was had, and I was like, I need to put that in a campaign, but how do I do that? How do I, how do I come up with this? And so I had to... I came up with this idea, okay, I'm going to make a pantheon, and then I'm not going to decide why they're fighting. Hmm. I'm going to make this pantheon, and then that kind of gave me the idea that, oh, what if I, every country in this world is run by one of the gods? Uh, so I created the pantheon, made a, a map that was mm-hmm. basically, you know, just kind of vaguely generic but every country that i made was run by one of the gods yeah uh and then i kind of thought what would be an interesting first god to introduce the guys to i decided craig uh the god of stone and so i'm like okay you start in the country of craig the god of stone and i came up with an idea that maybe in order to start ragnarok that one of the other gods would attack that country or something and so i kind of put this plot hook in front of you uh, and actually, uh, I don't think you were there for the first session. I don't remember. You've played in some sessions of that game, but yeah. not, not the first Which few. Which reminds I, I need to make a new character because I lost my other character oh, sheet. For, I, I'm infamous for that. You so. are. You are great at losing character sheets. Uh, but yeah, so then basically they kind of went through what they did with Craig and actually yeah. ended up uh, like I gave them this plot hook to investigate like... Uh, kind of. I'm gonna give you a little bit of out of <laughs> character knowledge, but basically there was some outside force that was making it look like one country was going to invade another, but they weren't. They were just trying to instigate the other country to attack them first, and then. Uh, I rolled, actually, I did use my random table for because I have a random encounter table that I like to use, like, if I'm just like, okay, I'm done with what I have prepared, but we still have some time we want to play, then I'll roll a random encounter, and I'll just, like, tack that on to the end of our session, basically, is how I usually do that. Uh, and the random encounter I rolled is that one of the player characters is wanted for some reason. Oh. And so they came up to uh, Chris, actually, oh, no. and they're like, oh, hey, you're wanted for uh, this charge. Uh, we're going to take you in. And uh, Dan, my brother, actually was playing, and he gave some like BS excuse and uh, blamed it on this other country. And 
inadvertently made the first country invade that other country. So Dan totally started Ragnarok. And I didn't oh, actually have to. And then based on where they went after that, I was just like, okay, now Ragnarok is set in motion. How does that affect the politics of wherever you're going? And I don't necessarily think about the world as a whole. I think about where you're at and what's happened before. So yeah. then, I, like, okay, then you go to the realm by that's owned by the forest goddess. How does she react? Then yeah. they went to a desert that was run by the god of... Uh, actually, it was originally run by a different god that because Ragnarok had started, a couple of allegiances were forward, and the, the god of machines killed that other god. Oh so they oh. were dealing with the aftermath of this country just got, like, yeah. their, uh, you know president but, murdered and taken over but like so that's kind of how i do it is i just kind of go piece by piece as the characters I, are going and think what's going to happen next and how should i i guess that? a good i guess a good place which to start would be um buy some of the uh i know not a whole lot like especially with 3.0 3.5 with pathfinder mm -hmm. players they're very they kind of have their heels dug into the ground like they don't want to play fifth edition as much right but fifth i'm finally actually getting pulled out of that a little bit because we've been oh, playing some fifth more edition fifth edition with dan is amazing uh, and i will mm, mm. yeah so it's, uh, it's been a long time coming but i feel like our group is slowly shifting dude i love i mean i'm not saying 3.0 3.5 and pathfinder is bad but mm -hmm. to get a good start on world building or whatever in exploration in your games, uh, fifth edition would be a perfect place because um, fifth edition has these uh, pre-written campaigns, and I'm not saying older editions do. They're just really hard to find. Like mm. if you can find some of the old like um, Spelljammer mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> second edition pre-written campaigns, like good luck, good luck. Right. But if you go to like my Barnes, brother still has an original copy of Return to Castle Greyhawk. Oh my lord! <laughs> so yeah, it's super hard. Um, so you go to your like local bookstore, Barnes and Noble. Uh, we have a local books or is it bookstore, game store, whatever. Uh, Black and Red. Yeah. Uh, so I go there to buy my D and D books, and Fifth Edition has all these pre-written campaigns. So far, my favorite pre-written campaign is a uh, Descent into Avernus. Which is an entire campaign built around the party starting in Baldur's Gate, the infamous Baldur's Gate, and you gotta jump into the first layer of hell to fight this archangel that turned into an archdevil. Um, but when I'm reading through the book, the guidebook for the descent into Avernus, it's got literally all these like little snippets and notes and stuff that say if the players do this then this happens. If the players do this, then this happens. So it's got a lot of, you know, extra notes for the uh, outcomes and consequences when the players want to get off of the railroad, I guess, because these campaign books are very much railroady. But they have these, like, little things that, like, have options for players to explore even in a railroady campaign. Um... And that's like a good place to start to like get the feel of it. But if you also pick up the um, Dungeon Master's Guide and Xanathar's Guide to Everything, there's literally a section in Xanathar's Guide to Everything where it's just like we have literally just random generators for everything. Mm -hmm. Oh, 
uh, random <clears throat> encounters. And so this is how they do the random encounters. They're like, where's your party at? The mountains, the ocean, the forest, snow. And it's just like, all right, uh, mountains. All right, so roll a D20. Uh, two ogres right. pop out of nowhere. And it's just like, oh, whoa, that's amazing. That's really cool that I like that. Because mm-hmm. I assume those random generator would um, like... And if you're... Eventually, when you get the hang of it, you can really know how to power up or power down an encounter to balance with your... Because, like, if you throw, like, a dragon at, like, your second-level party, of course they're going to have a hard time trying to kill a dragon. Because, <laughs> like, they don't get their subclasses until third level, so... Right. Characters in 5th edition from first to second level are just dangerously underpowered. So when you first start off in 5th edition... You just want to make your players just like, I know you're going to hate me. It's like a pilot episode of a TV show. It's a necessary evil. Just go kill some goblins. Like, right. there's two goblins. They're beating up a child. Go kill those goblins. You're like, well, that's super easy. Yeah, well, you're first level. Right. You're a wizard at first level. You have like three HP. Shut up. <laughs> you can't kill anything bigger. <laughs> Suck it up. So... Speaking of sucking it up, today's second beer of the week is oh, no. Black Velvet Canadian Whiskey. You said beer, not whiskey. I mean, the beer of the week. Do you mean alcohol or whiskey? It's 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 more of a or beer. guideline than an actual oh, word. Anyway, uh, so yeah, Black Velvet is a pretty decent uh, yeah. rye whiskey, um, and it's really, really cheap. So yeah. I'll, I'll drink to that. But the other thing that I like what Owen did... Our friend, who's probably one of the best DMs that we've ever played with. 11 out of 17. 11 out of 17. Yeah. It, it, it would um, be just a 10, but it's so fucking cheap that it gets an extra point. <laughs> but uh, Owen was really good at that whole world exploration thing. Yeah. He, uh, he threw plot hooks at us, and the plot hooks just weren't plot hooks. They were plot hooks that played into our characters' backstories. Yeah. And so that's that's probably a really good... That's something good... that I like to take into account also. It's yes. not just... So when, uh, what, when, you know, how the world would necessarily react, uh, how the characters how that characters? I've created, and in some cases I like to explore that, because I actually did this subplot with Chris's character, yeah, who actually, his entire uh, backstory that he came up with in five seconds was that for some reason he had to be reunited with his beloved, uh. and uh, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just throw this out and i like rolled randomly for what country she was in and she was randomly like on the opposite side of the world so that's partially why they had to go actually the to uh the god of waters country and then they met with the god of water uh after or actually i think that was slightly before they met with uh his beloved Mm. uh but then i kind of threw this little plot twist at him that uh his beloved had since fallen in love with the main villain Oh, uh, so, so when but uh, there's a chance that he can get her back because the main villain is a bad guy. So when you have players, you don't want players to just be, you know, just in your. So it's like you have a story, right? You're writing a book, and your characters are just there. Whatever they do doesn't have any impact on the story. Whatever they do or say or whatever has zero impact, and the story is going to continue the way it is. So if person A and B are going to die no matter what the players do, that's kind of like that's kind of like not really giving your players the feel of exploration. Because you want 
your players to not only interact with your world, but have impact and consequences in your... Yeah. So, like, let's say when Chris went out to go, you know, get his beloved or whatever. Right. What if just randomly he was just like, you know, I hate you, and just kills the beloved right there on the spot? Like, what effect would that have? Like, right, the, that would certainly have would, some kind of effect. Would the big bad uh, evil guy I, go... I do also try to, you know, oh. work in those kind of things, because actually... Yeah. Uh, at a later point, our buddy Tyler killed Flare, the god of fire, who happened to he killed be... killed a god? He did. God damn it. Uh, he backstabbed the bitch. Oh, my God. It, it helped that, actually, this was where I recreated that scene that I originally envisioned, where they come into this town, and literally the god of fire and the goddess of ice are just duking Bro, it out no. in the fucking sky, and it's, like, raining ice and fire on the town and they come out and they're like okay we have to stop this so mm-hmm. they uh kind of more or less teamed up with the goddess of ice and uh, then so and since, then killed the god of fire but so, since the god of fire was now dead somebody had to take the mantle of the god of fire and in uh 3.5 when you kill a god or a deity with divine ranks, you gain yeah. those divine ranks. So yeah. effectively, Tyler is now a deity in this campaign. Oh, wow. Uh, and so also the gods in this campaign are constantly casting a spell in order to keep this creature inside the crust of the earth asleep and so it doesn't come up and like murder everybody and since he's and not since attributing they, yeah so then yeah. he was actually commented or uh um contacted by uh the god of dragons uh who kind of called him up and was like hey you killed this guy and he was kind of important to what we do so i'm giving you a tentative job offer to do what he did so you have to uh, do it or we're all gonna die basically yeah a little yeah. bit uh you have to at least keep up with some of his duties uh yeah so yeah. that's that's like I notice a lot of I follow the uh, subreddit um, RPG horror stories, mm-hmm. and it's literally nothing just people talking about accounts with DMs and players that are just horrible. And I notice a common theme in bad DMs is bad DMs just don't like their campaign is set in stone. It doesn't matter what you do, mm-hmm. so it's just like like let's say you your campaign set in stone. And Tyler goes up to backstab the dra- the god of fire, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you're just like, nope. So you do it. Your blade breaks. The god of fire turns around and just like picks you up by the throat and just chucks you across the ocean. Just you're done. Mm-hmm. Just like cool, because then it makes your players feel like they have zero impacts. Yeah. And they just don't want to play anymore. And I've been in that situation before. I'm just like, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm playing this campaign anymore. I just want out at this point. Um, mm-hmm. but when, when you make a campaign, when you make a campaign, make sure you get your character, your players backstories. Cause if your players don't have backstories, they're just an empty canvas that either you or another player or the DM can just, you know, so the DM could just be like at any point, but then again, if you're a good DM, you can make you make the best out of what have you got. So if you have a player yeah. who has like, you can go, all right, Peyton, you have no backstory. So how about just randomly, uh, you know, a Gorgon shows up and she's your lover and you're like, what? Yeah. <laughs> she has three kids and she wants you to take care of them, but I'm saving the world from Ragnarok right now. Yeah. But 
You have that's child. gonna build dramatic tension. Yeah, you're just like you have child. Pay support. my child support, yeah. bitch. You have child support. You're just now like, you, how am I gonna fight magic items? <laughs> so now your character is just like this character had zero backstory. It's just like, oh great, now I have this Medusa that I mm-hmm. or not Medusa Gorgon that I just randomly slept with one night, I guess, and now yeah. But of course you have to play like if you're like if I'm a paladin. I'm not going to sleep around with women all the time. Like, so you want to make it to your... Yeah. Yeah, so like... One if of the I was things I kind of like to do with backstories is uh, when I, as a player, when I make a backstory, uh, I a lot of times leave it a little vague. Like, I give enough to kind of get a, the gist of my personality, and then I leave it there. And then yeah. I build the rest of it actually through roleplay. So I think noticed... that's one of the more fun things to do. And and sometimes I've even gone in without any backstory where I'm just like, I have a cool mechanical character concept. Yeah. Like uh, I played a character once that was, um, um, he's a fighter and I made a particular feat build in 3.5 where I was literally riding a horse and dual wielding lances and... Th- because we started at a fairly high level when I made this build. I think we started at, like, we level at, 12 or we something. Were, I thought it was a 20th level campaign, uh, one shot. I, that... I remade him for that campaign also. Oh, okay. uh, But he was originally for another campaign. Uh, but So he's dual-wielding lances, oh and my. I feet-builded him in such a way that he could hold two lances and oh just, uh, like, because of the way that horse moving mechanics work like the horse technically takes its move action and i don't have to so as long as i keep killing things i can keep cleaving and attack Uh, another thing and another thing you were just using the rules to your advantage yeah and the way that uh also horse riding in a lance works is that while you're riding a horse you get an increased uh critical damage what? And so also the rest of my feats after that were going to extra critical threat range and extra critical multiply. critical. Yeah, stuff like that. And so it like it got to the point where actually in our 20th level campaign, I would literally critically hit on a 11, I think. What? Uh, 11 or higher? 11 or higher would crit. And also because I was a 20th level fighter, their capstone, one of their capstones... Or is maybe it, it's their 17th level ability. No, is it's it, their capstone. Oh, is it their capstone? Is they right. automatically succeed. Yeah, you succeed. automatically succeed. So just, if it's an 11, I critically hit you. No, no matter doesn't, what. Doesn't matter what. You know, as long as it's above your AC, obviously. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, this this is the entire... And I built this character, and I had no idea how to roleplay him, because I just built it mechanically, and I went into... Actually, it was a, one of Owen's campaigns yeah. uh, in a Ravenloft setting, and I built this character, and I had no idea what to do. And so... Uh, literally, I'm just sitting there fiddling around in my pockets, and I feel a coin that I, I, I keep my lucky coin on me all the time. And I've picked it out, and I flipped it to see what my character should do. And that became my core character concept, is I actually ended up being, like, sort of a mishmash of Two-Face and Judge Dread, where, like, I was lawful neutral, right? Interesting. So I would uphold the law literally no matter what. Like, you break the littlest law, and I'm going to fucking kick your ass for it. Or, uh, or, or, you know, enforce the law. Because I'm a knight. That is what I do. I am the captain of this guard. I enforce the law. I am the law. You know, that Judge yeah. Dredd kind of aspect. But in, like, when it got to a hazy area and I didn't know what to do, I would consult the coin. 
Uh, because chance is the ultimate law. Uh, so the, this mishmash ended up being one of my favorite characters that I've ever role played, uh, uh, and I and it came from no backstory. But uh, and that doesn't always happen. Obviously, sometimes I've made characters and been like, "This is a neat concept," and then had no idea what to do with them role playing, and then I died, and I'm like, "I don't even care." <laughs> and then if you go on the opposite spectrum of that, like when players like come up with every little fine detail about their character, I kind of feel like it gives their character a little bit of and I guess it depends on the person too but it like a lot of times the player that comes up the types of people who come up with like the finest detail for all their characters for all their backstories are highly inflexible because mm-hmm. when I, I remember when we were playing with Owen campaign and um we were playing with that one guy Roy I think his name was oh yeah I remember we had we Owen and Roy would stop the session a few times because Roy came out, he had like, he had like a like a half an inch thick of backstory of this character that he made, and when Owen was like, "All right," so he goes, "No, he would never do that." Because on this page, and it, it was just like, "Really, dude? Are you really gonna be like that right, right. now?" Because it was just like, I liked the idea, and I liked that he was so into it. But I I get what you're saying there. Yeah, like, sometimes it did get in the way. We still love you, got- Roy. He was on the podcast once. <laughs> oh, was he? Oh, yeah. I love you, Roy. Sorry. You know, <laughs> not trying to, like... Right, yeah. Ooh, I hope he doesn't get pissed off at me. <laughs> right, yeah. That's just, okay. Sometimes I talk about people, and I'm like, that was not necessarily nice to say, but it wasn't, like, objectively, like, mean. But, but, it, but <laughs> I, I just, I had a problem with it. I was just like, all right, dude, you just need to drop it for... Just drop it. Just Or if your character has, like, you know... I don't know. When you play D&D, look at everything as a chance to grow, an option to grow. Like, mm-hmm. the, So you're just sitting there and just like, so like, let's say Roy's character, he's like, he has that super um, detailed backstory. Mm-hmm. And then let's say Owen, so let's say like this character always saves children. And mm-hmm. let's say Owen goes, well, this one children is a maniacal little girl that throws bombs at people and kills people. She's a murderer. She's like chaotic evil mm-hmm. up the butt. And then mm-hmm. your character, like, and I remember Roy's character was like super lawful, like good or something like that. And he was just... So, <laughs> Which like, was funny because he was a demon. Yeah. So you throw <laughs> this character in the situation. He wants to save the child, but the child kills people just straight up murders people Mm -hmm. so what would your character do now if you're an inflexible player you'd be like i'll save that character no be flexible Mm -hmm. be able be willing to outsource and grow be like and you you can find you can try and find a middle ground you can try and save usually but at some point like you know is it going to happen saving little children Mm-hmm. is very important but at the same time she kills people yeah like there's stopping there's, murder there's there's, there's, like, there's no there's no gray area there's black and white she yeah goes up to children rips their sternums out and shows them to their parents like this girl is <laughs> 12 years old and she's doing this she's terrible so if roy was a smart character like i'm not saying he's stupid but like if he was flexible and you know willing to grow he'd be like you know what I'm not going to kill you, 
but I don't have to save you either. Right. Yeah. And then the town just kills the girl. Ooh, so look at like you quoting the Dark Knight. I know. It's just like be like actually Batman Begins, wasn't it? It yeah. was Batman because that was Rajal Ghoul. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, and I really liked that in Batman Begins. Like up until that point, every movie, every comic, Batman's just like, no, I won't kill you, even though I beat you to death within an inch of your life. Right. So. But, and then when you first see that moment in Batman Begins, when Batman was just like, I don't have to save you either. You're like, is, did, did Batman just get character development? That's amazing. I <laughs> want more of that. Yeah. And that's what I loved about in the Christopher Nolan Batman series. It's just yeah. Batman, you know who Batman is, but for some reason, Christopher Nolan somehow found a way to grow batman still even in this rugged character who has a set in stone backstory he's got this personality he's got this you know and that's what i love when comic book writers or something you know because you know marvel and dc hire new comic book writers every year they hire mm -hmm. new one ever and so they're just like all right so this guy is going to be writing our new spider-man series and it is your job as a writer to be like, all right, well, everybody knows who Spider-Man is. Everybody knows how Spider-Man's, um, you know, personality is. Everybody knows who Spider-Man is. Yeah. So how can I change him and make him different? Yeah. And I kind of feel like... But you have to kind of... it's that, That's a fine balance because you have to make him different, but you have to keep you him the same. You want to keep Peter Parker the same way. Uh, mm -hmm. Another great example of that is um, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Every time they came come out with a new... Mm -hmm. series they still have the turtles like y if you're a long time teenage turtles fan you know which the character traits of each turtle but mm -hmm. as time went on they kind of evolved them and grow uh, i still need to get around watching it but the rise of the teenage turtles the one that's going on right now mm -hmm. the few scenes that i watched it like i know who these characters are leo mike raf and donnie mm -hmm. and they're still all like Donnie's still the gadget nerd. Raph is still the, you know, hot-headed fighter. Mikey's mm -hmm. the partier. And Leo is, like, the responsible leader. Mm -hmm. But I'm watching, like, a few scenes from this new show. And they're the same way, except they have little... They got little twists. Like, I was watching a scene last night where um they're fighting this big bad guy or whatever. And he's, like, talking in third person and Leo goes, ah, oh, so we're doing this whole third-person dialogue thing. And then Raph just gets up and he goes, no one talks in third-person except Raph. And then Raph attacks him. I was just like, that's an amazing character. Like, So take your character. You know, like, It's almost breaking the fourth wall, but not quite. Yeah, so even if you have a character who's set in stone, be willing to grow and change. Because you don't know. You might... Like, when I first made Sketch... She is, I made, I'm pretty much made her like set in stone, but then Owen was like, so for this campaign, this character, and I was just like, all right. So then Owen kind of like showed me the benefits of what happens when you're willing to outsource and grow your character. That was an interesting one too. Cause also you oh, had that campaign was amazing. Yeah. Cause you, the, you know, lawful good paladin, obviously. Uh, you wouldn't say lawful good. It was more lawful neutral. But. Right. But, you know, you're you're a, you're generally a good person. I'm a good person. Largely law-following. And just because of circumstance, you had to work with me, the necromancer that oh, murdered the yeah. ranger. <laughs> I love how every time we sorry, took a Reese, long... Sorry, not sorry. 
I love how every time it took a long rest, Silas would just go in the corner and just, you know, paranoid that the paladin was going to come to him in a sleep and slit his throat. So he just made a barricade of zombies around him as he slept. That was partially white, you know. Also, like, that that's a good defense. Legitimately. You know, in the middle of the night, I have my watch. You can set up whatever watch you want. I got yeah. mine. I don't care what you're using. So also, I got all my full rest that way every uh, but eventually, every session. But eventually, we learned how to take the strengths and weaknesses of each of our characters and somehow combine them together. Yeah. And, and it's, it's just like... It's funny, because we had to roleplay around that a little bit sometimes. Where we campaign, had to skate around this whole thing, where it's yeah. like, I'm the guy that's trying to take over the world, and you're the... Paladin trying, trying to, to prevent save the world that. and yeah. keep it from getting taken over by X other evil person and maybe me later. And eventually, I like I think if we went back to this campaign, I think eventually we would be butting heads. And it, it uh, might take a while, but we we eventually like saw each other almost just as assets to improve our oh, yeah. own unique goals. Because you're like, you know what? I don't approve of necromancy because it's evil, but you know what? You get fucking results. It's true. And Sketches. I was like, you know what? Eventually you're going to try and kill me, but for right now, I'm just going to try and stay on your good side, which is a little bit of how I played Silas anyways. Yeah. Is I would, like, get on everybody's good side, and I'd, like, be... I was a little manipulative, and I was actually a little impressed with myself that I was able to roleplay this as well as I yeah. was. Because, I, you know, at, at certain points, I was just like, this is really not who I am personally. Like... But I was, in certain roleplay situations, I was like, oh, I'm just going to kind of, you know, twist the truth a little, contort this person to my will, and yeah. get them to do what I want them to do because it is good for me. And I was uh, surprisingly successful at that. I didn't think I would be so good, but apparently was, I'm actually a pretty good lawful evil bad guy. I was talking <laughs> with Owen a few weeks back. And Owen was telling me about the campaigns he runs mm-hmm. right now. He's running, like, two campaigns at the same time with, like, 12-plus people. And uh-huh. he was telling me how, like, he uses us as a great example of mm-hmm. um, it doesn't matter who your characters are. You're in a party. Learn right, to yeah. fight. It doesn't matter because in any other situation, my character should be trying to kill your character and vice versa. Yeah. Any other situation. But, you know, when you and I were assaulting a fortress, what's more important? Uh, the paladin trying to kill you or you trying to kill the paladin or the wave of guards coming at us that are, they don't care who we are. They're going to kill us. Right. So it's just like, okay, well, what's more important? Our lives will solve this, we'll settle this little situation later, and we'll just, because I remember you and I just mowed through those, all those guards, because I remember you yeah. killed like two of the shower, shower, tower shield dudes, yeah. and they just held up their shields, and then they would just break formation and just let me through and just like smite everything yeah, I, in I my killed, path it was funny because the guards yeah. kept joining our party because we kept murdering them yes, I kept and you kept raising them raising them for the dead sketched like, the whole time yeah. she was just like i am not that was my okay whole thing too because uh i actually built my character 
uh, within the class and yeah. then within a couple of other mechanics where I would get like way more hit dice of zombies than most necromancers could control. Yeah, uh, but that was your but yeah. that was your thing though. Yeah, you that was my thing. You couldn't I do could, anything else except yeah. raise. I was I was dead. also a pretty good caster at the later level. At those first few levels, I was like, yeah. I've got my zombies, and if they get through those, I'm gonna be like magic missile, yeah. magic missile. <laughs> you know, oh god. Uh, or, you know, I it wasn't magic. But that's where the paladin. But you know, I had yeah. But then we had. But then when also, like, I remember yeah. like a few guards did break through your line of zombies, but I'm just standing right there, just yeah. pulsing with divine radiation, mm-hmm. and you're just like, fight me, bro. Yeah. And a, actually, a couple of times, I got hilarious crits with my scythe, because a scythe oh, is yeah, a... you had a scythe. Yeah, because yeah. a scythe is a funny weapon. It's stupid, but... It's got just a times four critical... Yeah, which yeah. is ridiculous. It's stupid, but it's, it's just like it doesn't do much damage most of the time. But when it crits, you're fucking dead. You're just like, oh. Look and at I that. got a couple of lucky crits actually in a couple of yeah. places where like some guard like or you know somebody broke through my line of zombies and like hit me one time and then I crit him with my scythe. And I actually got at the later levels that's not as much of an issue too because I can also uh, I got this spell that I can like drain their life force. And, more uh, vampiric touch. Uh, more or less, but it's mm. I, I actually got a, an even higher version of that, where it's like I can do it in like a 60-foot line. Excuse me? Any creature hit by that line. This is like a 6-level spell or something. So it's like a 60-foot line, and any creature in there takes damage, and I heal the total number of hit points based on how many creatures I hit. Does that work on your zombies, too? Uh... Like is it a wave of is it like a line of negative energy? Uh, no, it's actually untyped damage. So if I were to cast it on my zombies, it would damage them but heal me, even though I technically classify as undead because it's untyped. So it's it's actually a very huh. interesting technical spell. Which actually, this is the spell that I used to create kill Chris's character on an unrelated. <laughs> so I've always wanted to create like a because you know how clerics can channel uh, divine energy. At least in 3.5 in Pathfinder. They can't yeah. 5th edition. Divine mm-hmm. is complete channel divinity is different. Right. In fifth, But in like 3.5 Pathfinder, it was just like when you channeled, you just pulsed mm-hmm. with. So I was thinking, what if I made like this badass cleric dude that rolled around with a shield and a mace and he just, you know, he got in the nitty gritty of combat, but he also had just like just a ring or I get I don't know he had like a little mosh pit of zombies around him mm-hmm. and whenever something damaged the zombies he would just channel divinity negative energy heal all the zombies around me and hurt what's ever in front of me and then I just go all right do it again and then just they'll just swarm on so it's literally just kind of like a battle necromancer cleric dude of death nice can you do that in 3.5 pathfinder um, just like, like a, raise a, zombies and then go around as a battle cleric, and then you're just like yeah, actually clerics swing, swing. Uh, in in three point five clerics are the best necromancer class. Better really... than wizards. Per, yes, per, wizards specializing in the necromancy school. Yes, clerics Ow. are better because uh, they can use their uh, divine. Uh, instead of turn undead, you can control undead if you if you feet splash Excuse it right. Excuse me. Uh, and so yeah, so at that point, like all of your 
abilities are basically you have a core mechanic of your class that becomes controlling undead instead of literally just relying on the one spell that you get as either a cleric or... And also, this technically gives you a second pool of hit dice to control undead with, because then you can also use that spell, which is basic. So you have two control undead mechanics if you build it right in a cleric, whereas no matter how you build a wizard, you only get one. Oh, wow. So clerics are actually really good for that. And also in 3.5, you get, like, ridiculously good... uh, Like, you can use heavy armor as a cleric, which is amazing. You don't have any problem with casting in armor. Uh, so you're more durable as a caster anyway. So if I get... And then you so can I heal can all roll... your zombies by shooting them with uh, inflict wound spells. Or just do the channel divinity. Cause the right, channel, yeah, if you're in... Uh, that's uh, What is it, like a 30-foot like right? radius or something like that? Mm. So, so like if all your zombies are just crowded around you... It's just like, right. It's just like the way I think of it is my clerics in the middle, and it's just a crowd of zombies around him. That's how Silas did it. Yeah, and he'll just roll around with like a mace and a shield, and then when he attacks people, like the crowd of zombies like split like the Red Sea. My cleric <laughs> runs up, smashes the dude, and then out of nowhere, the zombies regroup or reform around the cleric. Right. So now you have your cleric, you have the enemy. And now all the zombies are surrounding you and the enemy. So now the enemy can't run away because mm-hmm. now zombies are on the other side of him. And he's got a battle cleric of death in front of him. Mm-hmm. Just like, you can't escape. Like, there's no way you can get out of this. Right. <laughs> and then if he kills the battle cleric, also, he'll still be fucked because all the zombies will at well, that now point go be uncontrolled. Uncontrolled, yeah. They'll just, they'll just like, literally go mindlessly eat whatever's in front of him. So it's just like, <laughs> oh... I made a huge mistake. Yeah. <laughs> Hold on. Let me get out of this crowd of zombies first. Right. <laughs> like, nope, that's not how it works, mm-hmm. buddy. So. Yeah. Anyways, uh, we've been slightly off topic for roughly half an hour now. Uh, and I think that's a, roughly a wrap up on the podcast. Uh, so thanks for joining me, Peyton. This podcast sucks. Yeah, it does. <laughs> we suck a lot of beer out of cans. Uh, you do, not me. That's true. You yeah. haven't even finished your one ounce. I don't care. You, you finished a rest. half an ounce. I'm cool. proud of you. Yeah. I drink it. I know. I know. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, as always, I am Sean Michael Patrick Thompson. You can find me on uh, twoguysplayingzelda.com or now the new Two Guys Playing Zelda gaming site. So uh, look up TGPZ Gaming on Twitter or just on Google or wherever. You'll be able to find that. I just published uh, our first blog post, which is uh, all about why Doom 3 is amazing. Uh, Doom 3 sucks. You suck. Anyway. (laughs) Uh, And uh, you can also find me on Twitter at SpamOmanospam. And uh, this is Peyton. Uh, You can find him on the internet, probably. Uh, I have multiple places that I'm on the internet. I have a DeviantArt, but I don't like to pay attention to that anymore. I should probably draw more. And then I have a Twitter. That's what I mostly do. At Patano Prime. Yeah, that's it. I think, yeah. Right, I you're, forget you're also probably on all those porn sites that you were, you know, part of, right? Because you you do a lot of porn. Uh, you're like the fourth biggest porn star in the world. Y- yes, big as in reputation, not as in you know. Yeah. <laughs> you, you you got like you're the biggest micro penis star of all time, or what? Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, well, if we're just gonna start attacking my ego now, thanks. That's great. I'm kidding. Chris is the biggest micro penis. Ooh, poor Chris. 
I'm sorry. He's not even here to defend him, so. Right? That's why we can make fun of him. Oh, important, important announcement. If you're on Twitter and you follow me, send me all your Marnie pictures. I want all of them. Yeah, I want all your Marnie pictures. So did your did your uh, shorts survive uh, the uh, barrage no, I shot? No, I have like my phone has like fifteen or twenty pics of Marnie pictures just saved already because she's see. like probably the coolest Pokemon trainer I've seen. But then again, when you throw like a punk girl in front of me, of course I'm gonna go for her. Right. Yeah. Automatically. She has a really cool design. I actually really like it. And I haven't her po- played the game yet, obviously, but like and she's her like one of my favorite designs of. Pokemon characters, anyways. And like, her she's Pokemon, really unique. Her Pokemon Morpeko is just like <laughs> one of the funniest little things I've ever seen in battle. Because uh-huh. it switches between its full, its uh, full stomach mode and its hangry mode. Not angry, not hungry, but hangry mode. Oh, yeah. He gets hangry, so mm-hmm. little little cheese ball gets angry. So mm-hmm. yeah. So now it's the part of the podcast where we uh, don't have any good thing to sign off on, so we just kind of keep talking until one of us says something really awkward, and then we cut it off right there. Oh, well, it's like JonTron. JonTron can't end his videos, hmm. so we don't know how to end in video. Yeah. Or this is a podcast. Yeah. So. JonTron. Is he like Megatron? But No. But like you don't know part JonTron is. I, I mean, I know, but like, where's oh, that name come from? Is it? No, is it like John. his dad's name was John and his mom's name was Megatron? I don't know. Ask John. Hmm. I'm not JonTron. Hmm. JonTron of Cybertron, son of Megatron. Can I get paid now? Uh, I gave you a beer. What do you want? You promised me five thousand dollars. Uh, and I have witnesses listening to this right now. Where's my five thousand dollars? Well, your witnesses are dicks. My wit- those dicks are your listeners. <laughs> Congratulations, you guys are all dicks for listening to this jerks podcast. Yeah. Well, if you still have followers after this, all I have to say is they're stupid loyal. So. Yeah. Well, better than being just stupid, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I have twenty-seven followers. Yeah, got, we, that's it? Yeah, we got one more in the last week. Uh, you guys really need to outsource more. Our podcast is little. <laughs> it's at least you're trying, though. Yeah, I mean, you know, you gotta start somewhere and you know, yeah. we've been my, steadily-ish building. Uh my cousin and cousin in law started a Pokemon channel like a few years back, like a long time mm-hmm. ago. And uh I remember in my cousin-in-law had like only like a hundred followers or something on twitter and out of nowhere he just blew up and he has more followers than i do now which is just like oh wow Mm -hmm. how'd you get there buddy yeah so i have times like that sometimes where i'm like hey i got a bunch of followers like right in a row how many do i have now but then it's like the same and i'm like who the fuck unfollowed me those sons of bitches (laughs) well a lot of it is twitter has those stupid uh auto followers they just follow people yeah and then they just randomly unfollow you. So There's some of that going on, I'm sure. Because sometimes I notice them. I'm like, yeah. you have no reason to follow me whatsoever. You are following 90 million people. Yeah. There's some bullshit like that. A lot that. of those people. And like their profile is like usually all about like corporate marketing or some, something like that. Well, a lot You're of like, people on Twitter will do like You have like no reason the, to be interested in whatever stupid thing I'm doing. Yeah, most of those people on Twitter are like... Uh, um, or like Instagram modelers or something like that. So they'll uh, just be like, I followed you, so now you got to follow me back. 
and here's my Instagram, here's my Snapchat, right. buy my nudes, and you're just like, oh, I'm not Buy your f- nudes? I can get free nudes other places. Like, yeah, I can get them for free anywhere Like, I could else. just call up Peyton or Chris at any point. 